Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show that shares honest, real-life stories and insider info from internationals living in Canada. I am your host, Kate Malcolm, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Since then, I've launched the Newcomer Collective, home of this podcast, as well as the New to Canada Academy, the step-by-step online video course that guides you through everything you need to build a new life in Canada that you love. You can learn more at thenewcomercollective.com. Join me on this show as I chat with fellow newcomers and learn all about where they are from in the world, why they chose Canada as their new home, and the lessons they've learnt along the way. It's great to have you. As new residents and citizens of Canada, it is so important for us to learn about and become allies for its Indigenous peoples. First Nations, Inuit and Métis peoples have been living in what is now Canada for thousands of years and they each have unique histories, languages, cultural practices and spiritual beliefs. Us newcomers are now lucky enough to call this beautiful country our home, but we must remind ourselves that we are living on their land. In this episode, I'm joined by Danielle and Jamie Lee, who come to us from Raven Trust, a not-for-profit that raises legal defence funds to assist Indigenous peoples. They also have a truly fantastic online video course called Home on Native Land that you can take for free to start your learning. In this episode, we discuss the history of colonisation in Canada, including the definitions of terra nullius, doctrine of discovery and the Indian Act. We also speak about the common misconceptions about Indigenous peoples, as well as the ongoing conflict over broken treaties. Ownership of land is a bit of a foreign concept among our Indigenous peoples. We come from the land and we return to the land, and it's just a foreign concept to have uh, ownership of land. And so the, you know, the, the doctrine of terra nullius it is a bit of an anomaly uh, among Indigenous people when European settlers arrived and claimed the land. The the idea that they could just take this empty land because it wasn't being used properly or to to what they could see as a human way to to use it, I guess, is really what the Doctrine of Discovery is about. I asked Danielle and Jamie Lee whether Indigenous peoples welcome immigrants and refugees to Canada, as well as what they think about the term Canadian. They also share some of the ways that newcomers to Canada can contribute to ongoing reconciliation efforts. Let's start the show. everyone. Today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Jamie Lee Gonzalez and Danielle Wilson. Hello ladies. Hello. Hello Kate. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Let me uh, turn the microphone over to you guys to, to properly introduce yourselves and, and the work you do. How about you Danielle? Good morning. I'm Danielle Wilson. I'm the new executive director for Raven which is the Respecting Aboriginal Values and Environmental Needs and I've been on the job now three weeks and working with this wonderful team here at Raven and uh, learning lots from the team and uh, also uh, bringing some of my background as an Indigenous woman uh, who's worked with the Indigenous communities across Canada for over 30 years now. So it's coming to Raven. Uh, It's been a bit of a homecoming for me. Uh, I'm originally from Vancouver Island, so coming to work uh, with this organization has been uh, has been a journey uh, in getting me here, but it's also been a, a great homecoming for myself. So 
it's been it's been a great three weeks and I'm looking forward to this interview with you. Yeah, I'm so, so happy you're here. And um, yeah, excited to dive in. How about you, Jamie Lee? Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, yes, my name is Jamie Lee Gonzalez. I um, am the communications manager at Raven. I have been with Raven for almost two years, I guess. And yeah, Raven overall, like we fund, we're fundraisers primarily, but we also like have an education wing, but we, we fundraise for Indigenous access to justice. So we work with nations um, across Canada who are, they are actively pursuing legal challenges that we support um, through financial fundraising and, you know, amplifying voices and things like that. We get to do some really deep, deep connecting and, and work with the nations that we partner with and and myself, Portuguese and Squamish, um, and have more recently, since getting this job, moved to Victoria, which is on the territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples. Yeah, that's that's how I'll place myself for today. <laughs> that's wonderful. Thank you so much for being yeah, here. Thanks I've, for having us. I've wanted to gather and share information about Indigenous peoples of Canada on this podcast for a very, very long time. So I'm so happy that you're both here today for, for this important discussion. Yeah, so, thank you. Yeah, it can be an uncomfortable subject to talk about, you know, as newcomers, as new people arriving on this land, it is all too easy to, to potentially ignore that, that giant elephant in the room, that being, you know, the history, the, the horrors that Indigenous people have endured over history and the, the very real and, and as you were mentioning, serious issues that they're still experiencing today. So it is so, so important that us newcomers to Canada take take the time to learn about these things to to educate ourselves to to acknowledge and, and respect the land that that we are now lucky enough to to be calling our home um you know this wonderful beautiful country uh you know it's one that indigenous peoples have lived on for thousands of years so we should all be familiar with that so thank you so much for your time and for sharing some information with us Okay, so before we really dive in, you did mention a little bit about the work that Raven does. Um, but yeah, let's let's just touch on that again. What is Raven? Um, maybe we can chat about the Home on Native Land project uh, that you've put together. What is what is that all about? Yeah, so uh, as I was saying, we, we are fundraisers. Like that is our primary goal um, and focus is to f- support access to justice for Indigenous nations. So as we know, and we'll get into, colonization is ongoing and uh, Indigenous peoples across the country and across the world really are continuously faced with challenges in, in their home territories, in their ways of life, really, like their their ways of being, their practices, their laws, their protocols. These are not things that are like woven into the fabric of the Canadian courts and um, government systems. So we work with, basically, we don't solicit anybody. They come to us. They already have a legal case going that that basically we work with nations across the country, indigenous nations across the country. And one of the main things I would say is that we are led by um, the partner nations, right? We don't make choices on their behalf. Um, And that's like a key, key thing is that we are here to support, amplify, and help get access to justice. But the work that's being done is really by these nations. Yeah, that's Raven, I would say. And and Danielle, do you want to add anything about Raven at this point? Yeah, just that we're a nonprofit. We're based out of Victoria, um, but we have staff that are located all, you know, all across Turtle Island. So we do the best that we can to support 
as many of our Indigenous communities as we can that do come to us seeking seeking funding. But it also, we're working to uh, enshrine and support our Indigenous communities in asserting their own land and environmental and title rights. And so through that, it's protecting Indigenous ways of knowing and being. And in that, it's protecting Indigenous lands and waters. So there is a breadth of uh, environmental movement and environmental justice through this, uh, through the processes that we are we are working for. And so that is kind of some of the core of what Raven and the principles that we're here for and not imposing colonial ways of, uh, of what that definition of land and title rights means. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's so important to, to even say if, if people are coming in with absolutely no knowledge of any of this, it's, it's so new still. You know, I couldn't even believe it myself that even recently as, you know, 1950s, 1960s, you, just, just then was when, you know, indigenous peoples could hire a lawyer. You know, you're talking about these, these legal cases and, and getting justice. And this is such a new right that they've, they've, been able to to take advantage of so recently it's it's just shocking so it's obviously very important work that you're doing it's ongoing and um yeah it's so so interesting to learn about it so thank you mm-hmm. and I would say too like you'll you'll if you take homo native land and move through that like this is not this is one arm of indigenous um resistance resurgence whatever you want to call it uh and indigenous peoples have been finding ways to to do this work since before they could hire lawyers, right? This isn't new for Indigenous people. They've never, never been just um, passive in this. Yeah, absolutely. How about your Home on Native Land project? Tell us all about that. I, I did the course myself. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I'm going to link everything in the show notes. It's on our resources page. I'm going to encourage everyone to do it, but um, run us through what it is and, and, the, and why you put it together. Sure. So Raven really did launch their education wing of of our organization in like January, I think is when Homo Native Land officially launched as a nonprofit, like our mission and mandate. We are also looking to educate and provide access to resources for folks who want to start to unpack this and and learn the true histories of of what's happened here in Canada. So Homo Native Land was was it really like a spark of this idea that like we need we need more resources we need more accessible resources for folks to start to do this deep learning and and understanding and to take responsibility for like educating themselves instead of asking indigenous people all the time so you know this was a way to do that and if I could just add to that too um, a lot of it so the Homa native land it also gives a lot of context about Indigenous people and why Raven is here, right? Like it gives a little bit of the purpose of the environmental justice and land and title rights. You know, and I think I've said it already before, but the Indigenous ways of knowing and being, which is a strong connection to the land. So home on on Native land is, you know, it exemplifies a lot of the purpose of why uh, this learning is important because um, everybody in Canada is living on native lands, right? And so it's to give the proper context to the story and that history of how Canada came to be. Um, because, you know, in, in the past and in, and in my own history, in my own past, the, the real teaching of the, of the impacts of colonization have been, have been brushed over, right? It's been, it's been washed out of the history books and the real teachings. 
um, that are out there. So home on native land really give is is an effort to give uh, everybody an opportunity to learn some of the real stories that are out there. And it's just one of the tools. Absolutely. I, I just think it does such a great job of, of being that, the, the launching point. You know, some people, they want to be educated. They don't know where to go to learn the correct things. And also, I I love that it's the, the voices of Indigenous peoples in Canada. You know, you can go to school and learn it from, from settlers, from Canadians. And, and I love that you can hear it from, you know, hear your voice and, and how we have told and taught uh, incomplete stories and, and incorrect stories. So um, really, really important work. And what I love as well is that, you know, when you're faced with a lot of history dates and, and legal jargon, it can be really easy to just switch off or, or not follow the information very well. But, you know, the fact that you have comedian Ryan McMahon as the host is, is a stroke of genius because he's, he's really able to, to insert humor and real life stories and, and those metaphors in, in such a way that, that makes this content so much easier to digest, like you were mentioning, and, and, and easier to understand, which, yeah, which will mean it's, it's much more accessible to, to a lot more people. So, yeah, I loved it. And it also uses different, different for teaching formats, right? Mm. In terms of video, there's videos, there's reading material, and then, uh, you know, there's artwork like storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to dive into, to just a few of the, the, the basics of from, from the lessons that, that you can expect inside, inside the course. I think, you know, the biggest question that, that we can answer today is a very basic one. And that is who are Indigenous peoples in Canada? Yeah. Yeah. So Indigenous people are, it's the encapsulation of the, of First Nations, Inuit and Métis people in Canada. So that's how Indigenous people are defined on Turtle Island, which is also known as Canada here. And Indigenous people, there is a, you know, there is a variety uh, of languages and distinct culture between First Nations peoples, as well as uh, Métis and Inuit. It's not a homogenous group of Indigenous peoples. There are um, language and culture distinctions uh, in all of that. But the commonalities among Indigenous peoples across uh, Turtle Island is, you know, is uh, the connection to the land. That would be a shared trait among all the Indigenous people, is a strong connection to the land for sustenance and recognizing that the land is part of who we are. It's, it's part of a creation stories. Um, about how Indigenous people uh, came to be on Turtle Island. So uh, it often in, includes uh, the land, the water, the air, and uh, the creatures of the land as well. So it's common to uh, all our Indigenous people in, uh, on Turtle Island. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's lesson one of the course. They, you know, he was mentioning Dr. Jeff Corntessel that it's like Disneyland. If you're thinking of, you know, how can you try to understand this? Maybe it's hard to understand. It, it can be difficult to explain um, as an, an Indigenous person as well. It's he, he compares it to Disneyland. If you're walking around and you feel that magic inside of you, looking around, that is the feeling that that Indigenous peoples get from from their land, from from the trees, from from everything around them. I think that's a fantastic way of explaining. It, but also, you know, I've I've been in Canada for seven years, and I've felt that feeling of wonder. You know, when you stare at a waterfall or, or a mountain here, and maybe it's a fleeting moment for me, but you know, for Indigenous peoples, that's that feeling is just magnified with everything around them. So, um, trying to understand that and their connection with nature is it's really well explained in that way too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what what do you think of the term Canadians? Do you consider yourself Canadian? 
I mean, I feel like it's a complicated, nuanced thing in so many ways. Personally, I don't think of myself as a Canadian. It's also really complicated because my mom was born in Portugal. And when I was a teenager is when she became a Canadian citizen and got a passport and all of that stuff. So that process and that journey was really important to her. It's just so complicated. I think there is a two-pronged approach and there's that like personal connection and how you feel and how you want to identify. That's one thing. And then when, when we talk about Canadians, we are actively putting pressure on people who um, do identify as settlers or do identify as people who have like become Canadian citizens um, or have been born Canadian citizens to do the work. And I think that's why the term is really important to like recognize and understand that if you are going to call yourself a Canadian, that, that there's deeper ties um, and there's actually a responsibility to Indigenous nations here uh, if you're going to if you're going to carry that title and especially if you're going to try to carry it proudly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as we mentioned, Indigenous peoples have lived on this land called now called Canada for, for thousands of years and and every non-native Canadian can actually, you know, trace their roots back to, to completely different countries. Lots of English, Irish, Scottish, Dutch, you know, people will always tell you as a newcomer, you know, they hear my accent and they say, oh, my great, great grandmother was from England. You know, they, they do, um, can they, you know, they trace their roots back to other countries. So yeah, it's, I wanted to hear your opinion on, on what is Canadian really, because it's just a hot pot of other, other countries and cultures and settlers. So. And, and for myself, I, th- I, I would just like to add, it is a complex qu- question, you know, do I identify as Canadian? And, you know, I do, I do identify as Canadian um, and I do identify as Indigenous mm-hmm. because I know that I don't want to deval- devalue some reasons people have come to Canada, right, as settlers and as immigrants and newcomers uh, to Canada because some people are fleeing terrible situations in their own homelands. And so... Canada is providing a safer place for some people. But in recognizing that Canada is providing a safer place, and that's the complexity, is we want to ensure that people that are coming into Canada are learning uh, some of the histories because we do have uh, some, you know, we do have our own dark history in Canada and it is, uh, it needs to be told. And that's what Home on Native Land is about, is ensuring that newcomers that come to Canada can understand this duplicitous story of Canada, that we are um, a free country, but there are some darker stories that need to be told and need to be told honestly about uh, Indigenous truths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderfully said. That is really the key. And I hope this episode can be, you know, the encouragement that that a lot of newcomers take um, to, to, to take that step and to not only educate, but to then advocate, right? You you want to be part of this country and, and support and, and advocate for change and um, get involved with, with as many, you know, things as possible. So yeah, wonderful. Talking about the, the history then, I'd love to just touch on the definitions of uh, terra nullius and doctrine of discovery, because these are really important terms for us to understand, you know, the history of exactly what happened when the settlers arrived, how the land was stolen and uh, everything that, that's happened since. So terra nullius, it means empty land. So maybe we can touch on that. Yeah. And again, that goes back again to um, a colonized concept about owning the land. And uh, Jamie Lee, before joining this uh, podcast this morning, we were talking about Indigenous ways of knowing and being. And ownership of land is a bit of a foreign concept among our Indigenous and Indigenous peoples. 
right? Because our creation stories come from the land. Mm-hmm. And so we're born from the land. And when we move on to our next life journey, so when we pass on, we are returned to the land. So we come from the land and we return to the land. And it's just a foreign concept to have uh, ownership of land. And so the, you know, the, the doctrine of terra nilius, it is a bit of an anomaly uh, among Indigenous people when European settlers arrived and claimed the land. And, and that's how the, the doctrine of terra nilius was so easily applied uh, in Canada mm. or not applied <laughs> so that the Europeans could claim the land. Mm. It was just a complete clash of, of of understanding, really. You know, to to claim that it's empty land and it's up for taking when it, it was being used. You know, people were living on it, people were using it, people were being it. So it's that notion of you know the Europeans believing, well, you know, you're not using it to its full benefit. You know, in our way of doing things, you know, it's you know I have a superior way of doing things. You're not using it to its full benefit, and so it's empty land, and and we can just have the right to to take it. So again, another really incredible. Um, metaphor or an analogy I, I never know that which way which term to use but um in lesson one of, of home on native land jeff again he says you know he points to to ryan's mug and he says is that yours and ryan says yes he said well no it's not because you're not a christian it's mine now by by right of discovery so i loved that as well it just you know using those those examples kind of shifts your your understanding a bit oh it you know that is it's just crazy to, to think of it nowadays you know just because you're not using it the way that I believe and, and you're not Christian then then it's right of discovery it's mine now exactly yeah so there's two things too and in, 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 in the course you'll learn this too like Terranelius is the term used for like empty land and it is a part of the doctrine of discovery which was really like an invention of the Catholic Church right this was used like not just here, like all across the world in in colonization practices, right? This is, it dictates who is considered human and often indigenous peoples because they didn't practice Christianity or Catholicism were not seen as humans. And so that's what you're saying, right? Like the, the idea that they could just take this empty land because it wasn't being used properly or to, to what they could see as um, a human way to, to use it, I guess, is really what the doctrine of discovery uh, is about. And and also this was like a legal tool and a racist tool that um, declared indigenous people as less than human. And it, and it really actually gave permission for colonizers to, to do the terrible things that they've done to the peoples and to the land. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about land and, and how ownership of land that wasn't you know, a thing that that made sense to Indigenous people. So it, it's a great segue to, to talk about the treaties that then resulted from that. When when they first got here, that maybe at the beginning they thought, okay, you know, we do need to work with Indigenous peoples. But then they very quickly realized that they had the upper hand. They, you know, they were stronger. They they could take advantage of them. Um, so what happened with the treaties uh, when they eventually started writing those up? Yeah, um, I mean... There's so much that can be discussed when we talk about treaties. Like it's such a vast, huge, and even in in Homa Native Land and in, in the treaties lesson, um, it's just scratching the surface, right? But treaties are supposed to be guidelines for relationships, right? Realistically, that's how I would explain it. 
supposed to be that, you know, we are agreeing to be in relationship with each other. And here is our responsibilities. Again, that idea of like land ownership, resource extraction to the extent where it actually does harm. Um, all of these were really foreign ideas, you know, capitalism, imperialism, all of these concepts were forced and thrust upon indigenous nations. And so these treaties, a lot of them, they're done in, in bad faith, really, like they were miscommunicated on behalf of the settler governments, what is truly in them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a common misconception is that lands were were ceded in the first place, that mm -hmm. lands were never ceded. You know, that was something that was not understood and not agreed upon. Um, I, I, I didn't even know that before I entered the, the Home or Native Land course. I, it's a huge misconception that, oh, well, they gave up their land. They signed the treaty, you know, that it's not true. There were, there were actually no lands ever ceded. And that, that really surprised me as well, because, you know, indigenous peoples understood that, that, Treaties were just documents laying out how to coexist, you know, in peace, you know, for mutual benefit. You're building that relationship of trust with somebody um, for an ongoing thing. So I love, again, the analogy lesson two, Gordon Christie, his analogy is, is it's a marriage. You're, you're signing a marriage document yeah. for a long term relationship. But what actually happened is, you know, from a Canadian perspective, from a settler perspective, it's more like divorce documents, right? It's a, an end of a relationship. Where do we stand? We're sharing our assets or, you know, sharing with quotes around it. Um, you know, when we get everything settled and it's the end of something. So that's a really important distinction as well. But um, yeah, that really surprised me that that no lands were, were even ceded in the first place. And, and also uh, that many of those treaties have been broken, right? The, you know, starting out as a, a relationship document, but along the way where Indigenous people felt that this was the relationship or the, you know, the, the marriage relationship and the agreed uh, principles of the of the relationship over the years they were all broken and that's why um, the treaties currently um, there's some some nations are still uh, in the courts right now going through treaty negotiations to regain some of those land and title rights and to rebalance that relationship the provincial and federal governments and local municipalities as well Right. Right now, Raven is actually like we've just launched the Breathing Lands um, campaign. Um, so we are fundraising for 10, a coalition of 10 um, nations in Treaty 9 territory. Uh, and they're going for co-jurisdiction. They're saying like, you know, the treaty, the oral treaty that we were told that we were signing is totally different than what the written treaty that the settler governments actually put down in paper, right? Like we never agreed to, to give up our lands. We never agreed to give up our ways of life. And mm. in fact, we were lied to. And they're still like, like Danielle is saying, they're still not even saying like settler government, let's go for co-jurisdiction. Let's mm. do this properly. Like we always intended, right? Like, you know, yeah, it's 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 really mind-boggling to think that that that's even still legally standing, right? They, these oral negotiations they were then taken away, written up in in English, and then taken back to to the indigenous people to sign, often just with an X, right, to say mm -hmm. that they they couldn't read or write. So under duress, under famine, you know, they were pressured to sign it. They didn't know what they were signing. Maybe there was a, a huge language barrier involved as well with, you know, there were, weren't the best interpreters provided. So, so many things that, that bring the, the legitimacy of these treaties in, into, into question completely. Uh, agreed. And, um, 
you know, and again, I just uh, emphasize, you know, the the difference in the cultural values and the understanding of, of ownership of land. So that also played a big part in uh, in understanding a treaty uh, in of itself, which is completely contrary to Indigenous ways of knowing and being. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So after the signing of the treaties, um, let, let's talk about the Indian Act uh, as as something that, that came after and, and how that's affected and continues to affect uh, Indigenous peoples today. Oh, the Indian Act. Yes. Again, a huge topic. We could spend hours talking about it. <laughs> exactly. Well, first of all, we should probably touch on the fact that it's called Indian Act. I find that, you know, they when they first discovered Canada, they thought it was India. And that's that's where the term Indian comes from. And we still use it. That It's just crazy to me. A very good point, Kate. Yeah, exactly. And so the Indian Act, it was originally, it, it was a legislation that was passed that governed every aspect of from birth to end of life for indigenous peoples, right? And it was a tool to to discriminate, to impose inhumane practices among indigenous people, you know, and it was one of the foundations to try to force eradication of indigenous peoples. And if it wasn't eradication, it was forced assimilation uh, through some of the through some of the Indian Act. But uh, at the end of the day, the Indian Act and what it means uh, to many Indigenous people is that it stripped away many of the rights of Indigenous people. Uh, the reserve, well, first of all, the implementation of the reservation system that was uh, imposed through the Indian Act. Indigenous people could not could not work, uh, were not allowed to be employed through the through uh, various uh, forms of the Indian Act. It was defined uh, through the Indian Act about the residential schools. Um, children had to go to residential schools. Um, indigenous people were not allowed to vote because of the Indian Act uh, being in place. And um, banning, most importantly, cultural practices as well and, and being able to speak the language. So it was, um, it was an act with the purpose to remove Indigenous people from Canada. And it still exists today. And it also, more shockingly, defines who can be Indigenous and who cannot be Indigenous. It is There is a definition in there about who is First Nations. It's not self-determining. Mm. Yeah, even just the fact of having a status card, you know, that that is what you are. You have a status card or you don't have a status card. It just seems so, so cold in that way. But obviously, there it's blanketed by, you know, special privileges. You get non-insured health services like dental, you get tax exempt products like gas and tobacco. So that's another talking about popular misconceptions is that, you know, you get all these handouts from the government, you have so many benefits that you get. Um, how, how do you feel about that? If someone came to you with that argument, you know, it's, it's, um, if someone came to me personally, I'd be like, I need you to go take the Homo Native Land course. Uh, <laughs> and not talk to me. About it. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, again, these things are so complicated and there's so many misconceptions about Indigenous people and the burnout of like having to assert our like rights, assert our identities is so real. And if people think, if people are at all clued into what's happening and they think that Indigenous people are getting handouts, like it's, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's just upsetting. Yeah. That's a very, very important point. If they are, you know, up to date with what's going on, if they've educated themselves, and they would never have that, 
that that thought process. It's it's the mm-hmm. fact that they haven't been taught or, or s- sought those answers for themselves that that's when the the ignorance mm-hmm. comes in. So, and I think that's such a like thing that's you know again what we're trying to address with common native land. Like these these stories and this history has really not been taught to quote unquote Canadians, right? We need to start somewhere so that these these assumptions about um, like handouts and like, you know, status being the only way to identify as Indigenous. These systemic things that are in place also cause fractions and and pain within the Indigenous community, right? Like othering each other based on that system is, is a real issue too, and it's hard. That's why I always try to use the term like ongoing colonialism. This stuff is so real for everybody, no matter how they identify, if they're urban Indigenous, if they grew up outside the culture, if they grew up on the reserve, they grew up like, you know, learning and so closely connected to their culture. All of these systems still impact every Indigenous person in Canada. And it's been a long, a long thing that's been happening for, for many, many, many years. You know, it's a very fresh topic for, for a lot of us. It's all been in the news recently mm-hmm. over the last few years and the, the discovery of, of the, the graves and the, from the residential schools. So it's all very new to a lot of us, but you know, there's ongoing mm-hmm. generational trauma that's been going on for decades mm-hmm. amongst the, the indigenous communities. So that's another a real issue to tackle as well. It all feels like a new thing, but it, it's really not. It's just finally these things are getting the light that they deserve. Um, it, it's crazy. You know, the last residential school was only closed in 1996. That's my lifetime. You know, that is just, uh, you just can't even get your head around it. So mm-hmm. yeah. Ongoing issues, I think, you know, as newcomers to Canada, we we touched on it earlier in the episode, you know, as newcomers, we can think we're going to say the wrong thing, you know, even doing this episode myself with my British accent and my, you know, I've only been here seven years. It's a very sensitive topic. It feels very uncomfortable, but it's so important that we have these discussions and these conversations um, as newcomers, you know. Are we welcomed by Indigenous peoples? What do you feel when you see all these immigrants coming in by the thousands and thousands? You know, the government's so behind it. Um, what can we do? There's, there's so many questions in this, but what can we do as newcomers basically to, to help and to, to, to be advocates? Well, I think um, the biggest thing is uh, for myself is um, to answer the first part of the question. Are new, newcomers welcome? I would say absolutely yes, um, because that is the foundation of a new relationship with settlers to Canada, right, is to look at starting it uh, in a good way with, uh, with settlers, especially knowing that there is a stronger commitment to learn the real histories of uh, Indigenous people in Canada. So it's, to me, I would say that yes, settlers and, and new immigrants are welcomed uh, by Indigenous people. Because there is, a, there is a commitment to learning the real story, right, uh, through this. That is a foundation to start uh, a good relationship by, you know, honoring the truths and the, and the stories, uh, especially through home on native land. This is just the start of uh, a learning journey and that settlers and immigrants to Canada would look at themselves as allies with our Indigenous uh, communities across Canada and support Indigenous causes and Indigenous rights Mm -hmm. uh, in the area. And it all begins by taking home on Native land. Mm -hmm. I think, too, like, home on Native land talks about this, right? Like, Indigenous nations made treaties. The Indigenous nations were were trying to make treaties to be in peace and harmony, like, not just with the settlers at the time, but with the land 
um, and to again be in those relationships, right? I, I mean, again, it's always like we're we are where we are in time. We're not going back. Um, so, like learning how to be in good relationship with each other, um, central to the land, is really like what it's about. It's 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 not about like boundaries or borders. It's about working together in relationship with each other and not erasing people's authentic way of being. You know, it's okay to come to 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 these territories and have your practices, have your own spiritual practices, have your own stories and be really yourself. Um, and then show up as Danielle's saying, like as an ally and find a place to to support or to to be um involved and and I think that's like really the main thing and and so many indigenous people also really feel deep probably connection and understanding to a lot of people who are fleeing their homelands right who also experience colonization um in really violent ways so there's a a kinship there too yeah it, it's all about co coexistence and 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 coexisting in peace um I, I i find i i was so lucky enough to to go to a powwow i live very close to a first nation reserve here where i am and i went to a powwow a few weekends ago and i i don't think i'd ever experienced such a welcoming community of people everyone was involved everyone was invited to dance and it was incredible to see all the artisans and all the incredible you know arts and crafts that, that the people were making and selling and so there's ways that you can get out and experience it yourself and and support the communities out there um you know find out which territory you're living on you know native-land.ca is the website you can actually search and find out what what land and territory you're living on that's really important acknowledge that territory um you know read the the truth and reconciliation commission of canada's call to action i'm going to link all of this in uh, under the episode as well and then i think as well just We've, we mentioned the residential schools and, and the discovery of the graves uh, very, very recently, but there are other current issues that are happening. You know, the, the clean water issues on reserves uh, are seeing a lot of news time, um, as well as there are um, thousands and thousands of, of missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls. That That is still an ongoing issue as well. So um, lots and lots that to, to keep on top of and, and current and I think the one one thing I would say in response to that, um, you know, there's so much, like you say, that we could talk about. These are like really often called indigenous issues, but but they're not. Like these are harms that are brought mm. to um, individuals and communities um, based on the systems in place, right? These are priorities for indigenous people because they are the ones affected and it's often the ones most affected that are doing the work. But uh, yeah, these are not indigenous issues. These are issues within the Canadian state. Yeah, human issues. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And also, I just want to say you're going to see it's one day, it should be all year round, but September 30th, you're going to see orange shirts. And I just wanted to touch on that as newcomers, they're going to want to know what that means and, and how we can use that day to honor, honor the, the children from residential schools and, and what that day is all about. Yeah, well, I think the orange shirt day that originated from one young Indigenous girl who went to went to residential school wearing an orange shirt, who was very proud uh, to have received the orange shirt, but the the shirt was taken away from her, uh, and she wasn't allowed to wear the orange shirt, which was incredibly devastating uh, to this uh, young Indigenous uh, girl who, again, was you know uh, was so proud to have received uh, this shirt. So the shirt symbolizes Indigenous struggles, uh, you know, the, the, the rights that have been uh, taken from Indigenous people through history and currently still exist today. The daily battles that we have 
to assert our Indigenous rights, uh, to be recognized, uh, you know, as uh, Indigenous people, as uh, the first peoples of this land. And uh, so that to me is, is, the, is the symbol of orange, uh, the Orange Shirt Day on September 30th. Symbolic changes or symbolic uh, moments or, you know, symbolic actions like the Orange Shirt, people sometimes are like, what does this mean? change what does this do but like visible allies is really important you know we delivered yesterday a petition with almost 10,000 signatures um, to the Minister of Heritage in Canada like asking to change to update the Canadian national anthem to say home on native land um, like Julie Black did and these symbolic changes show that the public is ready to to learn more and go go deeper and to be allies for Indigenous people. Wonderful. So how can people sign up for, for Home on Native Land? What's the next step once they've they've shut this episode off and, and they want to learn more? Where can they go? Yeah, just write at homeonnativeland.com. Um, and it's a free 10-module course, self-paced. Raven has produced this. Uh, so you can also check out raventrust.com if you want to learn about the campaigns that we support. And if you want to, you know, if you do the course and you're like, okay, I'm ready to put my money uh, behind this movement, um, you can donate at raventrust.com. And just in general, I also want to add, like, as you were saying, that make connections to host nation territories that, that where you're living. Um, like do that work really, really deeply and personally. Um, and then come donate that to, to Raven. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I just want to add to one of the next phases that we have for Home on Native Land is to have these modules accredited. So for professionals out there that are looking to have some, you know, Indigenous specific training uh, and education, um, that this is one of the next phases of Home on Native Land is to have it accredited so that it can be offered uh, for individuals that need professional learning throughout their, their careers. And uh, so stay tuned for more information that will be coming forward for Home on Native Land regarding that uh, for working professionals. But in the interim, it still is um, it's free and self-paced, self-directed, and it's very flexible in the sense that you can take, you know, you can start a module 10 and uh, work backwards, or you can start in the middle. And um, and we look forward to people providing us feedback on home and native land as well. Wonderful. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? Or it, it's been absolutely fantastic. What a great, valuable discussion as a another launch point, right? Uh, launching them off to to even just spark their interest, and and maybe they even you know they didn't even know that they that this is work that they should be doing. They've been focusing on their immigration and and making Canada their new home. And so I'm just so so happy that we could put this episode together and and introduce them to this, and then send them your way to to home on native land as well. So I thank you so so much for your time. Jamie Lee, Danielle, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you could leave the show a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next time. Thank you.